0: Let's go to Matthew 26. You can pull it up on your apparatus or paperwork, the Bible. Matthew 26. Beginning with 30, verse 36. Matthew 26. Beginning with verse 36. Word reads, then Jesus. Then came Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto his the disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And when he went a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them sleep, and said unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them sleep again, for their eyes were, were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. As I pray, I would love very much if you guys can pray for me. Is that all right? So let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I call on your holy name, dear God, because we need a fresh word from you. Father send your Holy Spirit and magnify your glory in this place. Father tabernacle with this Father, hide me behind the cross and let only Jesus be seen. Father speak to me personally, speak through me, and speak for me. This is your word, Father. So I pray that you would take these words off of these pieces of paper and use them for your glory. Use me beyond myself. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the praise, honor, and glory for you're worthy of all our praise. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know... At the time of this writing of the Gospel of Matthew, the Jews and Romans were against each other. The Jews, when they heard of the Messiah, they believed that he was going to come and set up his kingdom and be a ruler against the Romans. However, they misread misread the prophecies that talked about this Messiah coming to be rejected and died. So Matthew writes this gospel to the fellow Jews to explain to them that Jesus is the promised Messiah and the eternal King. And he did this by dealing with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, so they can see who he is. And, so, and now we, we're we here in Passion Week, where Christ now is sitting, talking to the disciples at the Passover. He predicted that Judas was going to betray him. He sets up the Passover and the, 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 the instituting... The supper. And then they leave this place and they go to Gethsemane. Gethsemane is across the, the Kidron Brook on the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane means oil press. Gethsemane was a place of great sorrow. But if, but you have to understand there were two gardens. There was the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve made the decision that plunged the whole human race into sin. But then there was the Garden of Gethsemane, when Christ made the decision, he gave the whole Christian race the victory. Are we with somebody? So with that, I want to speak from the topic, the victory in Gethsemane. Because so often we forget that as Christians, and we, many people fall into despair while listening to the lies of the enemy. Am I right? We know we're Christians, but so often we listen to what the devil tells us and how people stereotype us. And we fall into despair. We fall into despondency. We fall into areas of depression. And today, I've given the task to share with you the victory in Gethsemane. And I pray as the message is being shared that the Holy Spirit do the work of encouraging someone who are going through a challenge right now. You have victory. Amen? No matter what it looks like, we have the victory. Now let's look at my first observation in the text. My first observation in the text that this garden was a place of great suffering and distress. You see in Matthew 26, verse 37 said that he was deeply distressed. And if you look in Mark 14, 33, it records him as being deeply distressed. Okay? Then if you follow over into book Luke chapter twenty two forty four, it describes him as being in agony, and his sweat was like great drops of blood. In verse 38, he said that he soul was exceedingly was sorrowful unto death. Are you following me so far? So I began to do some research here, because I, I had to figure this thing out. So I looked into the desire of ages, and this is what the author explained. Upon him who knew no sin must be, must be laid the iniquity of us all. So dreadful does sin appear to him, so great is the weight of guilt which he must bear that he is, he, he is, uh, He's weighed down by the weight of the sin. He felt the full weight, the full separation of what sin does to man. She was explaining that as Christ went into the garden, he was feeling the full weight of God's wrath against sin upon his shoulders. Are you following me so far? Now, I just want to ask, has anybody here ever experienced sorrows and pressures to the point that it feels like the whole world is on your shoulders? I I have to tell you, I don't know about you, but I have. When I was called into the ministry, I began to experience some very traumatic situations to the point that I wanted to turn around and quit. And I had a a, uh, mentor at the time. He said, man, you're in great company with the Savior. And I said, what are you saying, man? He's saying, don't you know that our Savior in the garden experienced sorrow? Don't you know that he was so weighed down By sorrow, you are in the same company with him. And I begin to think about that thing. And I'm here to tell you, you are not by yourself. Are you with me, somebody? In other words, I want everybody here to know that as we live this life, the Bible tells us don't take it, don't think it's strange of the fiery trials which try you. The fact that you have signed up with Jesus Christ. You have your nameplate wrapped around you. You are a target for the devil. And as we live life, trials gonna take their turns to try to beat you down. Am I talking to real people here? In other words, while we live in life, those trials that we experience, those deep trials that nobody else understands, but you—you you are in great company with the Savior. Follow me. Is in Isaiah fifty-three verse four. Isaiah fifty-three verse four. Are you there? Isaiah fifty-three verse four. Let me share with you how, how in company we are. Are you there? Okay. This is what it reads. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we, di- we did esteem him, with stricken, and str- esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, does that tell you that he, he, we are in company with him? While we going through our struggles, we can tell ourselves, we can wrap our brain around the fact, we can grab a hold of the handles, and say, "I am in great company with the Savior because He went through this in Gethsemane. I have somebody to look at while I'm going through mine." While people are treating us like dirt, we can look to the Savior and say, I am in great company. Are they clear? But then, my second observation this was a place of great loneliness. Are you with me, somebody? Notice the Bible says that he came back to his disciples. And he found them asleep and said, what? Can you not watch with me one hour? Dr. Luke records this in chapter twenty-two, forty-four. Him being in agony and prayed more earnestly, his sweat became as great drops of blood falling down upon his face. So I had to do research here, too, because I had to study this one. And the Bible, and and, and I looked in Desire of Ages again because I had to study this. This is what she said on page 688. In the supreme agony of his soul, he came to his disciples with a yearning desire to, to hear some words of comfort from those whom he had often blessed and comfort, and shielded in sorrow and distress. So then I look some more in in the uh, Barnes Note commentary, and this person explained the word uh, rendered here, great drops of blood, does that mean drops gently falling from the ground, falling to the ground, but rather thick and clammy masses of gore passing by inward agony through the skin mixed with the sweat falling thus to the ground. So as I'm reading this, I'm imagining in my mind, Christ as he's down there praying, great drops of blood, the vesture that he had around was, was that, that was soiled with the blood and sweat. He gets up in great agony, staggers over to his disciples, hoping that they would tell him words of comfort and he found none. then he staggers back to where he was in deep agony for us. And as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, I understand that Christ went through this situation, He was very much alone. And then I begin to understand that this shows me at times even our closest friends and family at times will not understand what we're going through. At times, they will leave us very much alone. And perhaps somebody is dealing with this right now. And if you are, I want, you to tell, want to tell you, you are not alone in this. In fact, I come across a recent deport, report from Duke University that revealed that over 3 million people are struggling with loneliness. This tells me that there's a whole lot of people Inside and out of the church. And there, you have to understand that there's different degrees of loneliness. Are you with me, somebody? There's different degrees. And when Christ dealt with loneliness, we have to understand we are in great company with him. Let me explain. That loneliness when nobody else understands it but you, it is sometimes just you all by yourself in the house. It is you sometimes, even in a marriage, nobody understands, but you're dealing with loneliness. And loneliness is an f- unpleasant feeling where you have uh, uh, inadequate social structure, but you're dealing with the loneliness. Nobody understands but God. Are you with me, somebody? So my point here, thanks to God, I want you to know, yes, loneliness is real. David said in in one of the Psalms, "I'm I'm like an owl sitting alone. Loneliness, it eats at you. And the fact is, a lot of times when you're lonely, the devil shows up. And when the devil shows up, he points out all your defects. And this way you have to wrap your mind around the fact that Christ went through this also. You are not alone. Are you with me, somebody? He understands the loneliness. He understands the distress. He understands this. And because he understands it, he is our personal savior. Are you with me? This is where in the deep recesses of life, instead of giving in, we hold on. Instead of falling down, we stand up. In the deep recesses of life, we have to understand that Christ went through this. And because he went through this, we are in great company. The point is, I want you to understand, he he knows everything that we're dealing with. You believe me? Let me give you a text. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Give you a text. Are you there? Chapter 3, Genesis 3, verse 7. Okay. Now, did, did, did he not tell Moses, I have seen the problems? Didn't he not say that? Can somebody read that for me? Read that, Genesis 3, verse 7. Can somebody read it out? No Genesis um, no okay, no I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's Exodus three verse seven. That's a typo. Exodus three verse seven. Exodus three verse seven. Did you hear that saying? He said, I have seen what they're dealing with. I have heard their cries by reason of the taskmasters. I know their sorrows. Every one of us here today, whatever we're going through, day and night, the Lord is saying, I know what you're dealing with. In other words... He understands our feelings, our deep lonely feelings when in the midnight hour when no one else around. He understands when we are deeply distressed and we can't call anybody on the phone. He understands that when, we, when we're when literally going through it and, and we can't call anybody, we can't explain it to anybody, but he knows that we literally are going through it. He knows our sorrows are with me, somebody. And when we know our sorrows, he is our personal Savior who who knows the experience that we deal with on a daily basis. So when we think nobody understands, and when somebody says, Well, I can't I can't tell anybody, yes you can. People may not answer the phone, but I know a son that says Jesus is on the main line. I know the soul that said that you can call him up and he would never leave you. I know a, a text that said that he is closer to us than a brother. Are you with me, somebody? So when we're dealing with the loneliness, we're dealing with sorrows. There's a soul that says that you—he's—he's you, he's on the main line, and you can just call him up when you need him. Are right, with me, somebody? But then my third observation is, is is this garden was a place of great victory. Look with me here in, in verse forty-two. Are you following me? The Bible says he went away the second time praying the same words. Oh, my father, let this cup pass from me, except I drink it. Let me explain something here. This cup, according to the Old Testament, was was a mixture of judgment And and pain. This cup that Christ was to take, it was the sorrow of God's wrath against sin. Christ came knowing that he had to die so this was the decision that set the whole course in motion. Now let me explain. At this point All the evil angels was watching, right? All the heavenly angels was watching, waiting to what was going to happen at this decision. And when Christ said, let thy will be done, he then spoke the death sentence on Satan and gave all believers the victory. Do you believe me, somebody? You know how in a courtroom, when the the judge slaps the gavel down, and that convicted sinner is convicted to prison? Well, that's what essence happened in the garden. When Christ said, let thy will be done, I'm going to accept. What I'm going to do is to come and die that all Christians don't have to taste the second death. He then gave all of us the victory. Are with me somebody? And at this point, I don't care what the devil says, the victory is ours. I don't care what he shows us. The victory is ours. Are you with me, somebody? But then it also tells me that in our personal Gethsemane's, in our personal struggles, we must do this, have the same prayer as Christ, as saying, not my will, but thy will be done. And when we do that, it's completely taking our hands off of it in complete surrender and giving it to God. Are you with me? I was reading in, in, in the this one commentary. This is what the author said. He chose rather that the high purpose of God should be done. That purpose should be uh, done in regard of the, of the fears of his human nature. It says in this, he left the, the, the uh, model prayer in times of affliction to all believers. It is right in times of calamity to seek deliverance. Like the Savior, all must and should submit their will to God. In other words, like Jesus Christ, we all must be willing to say, God, whatever I'm dealing with not my will, but thou will be done. If I never get the promotion that I want, thy will be done. If I never get healed from a sick condition, thy will be done. If I never get the position that I wanted, thy will be done. I may be dealing with a spouse that is not right, thy will be done I may have wayward children that I'm praying that they come back home, thy will be done I may not have money to pay my bills but thy will be done, are you with me somebody so it's not my will but it's thy will be done I'm here to tell you that it's about the power of surrendering to God and let thy will be done. And when thy will be done, you can go to bed at night and get some sleep and quit worrying about the things that's God's business. So it's God's will shall be done and let God do what he has to do. I don't know who I'm preaching here today, but I feel like preaching. But it's about the full surrender. You know that we live in a wicked world. Are you with me, somebody? The world places their hopes in money. The world places their hopes in the bank accounts. The world places their hopes in places, things, and people. But I come to tell you that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I come to let somebody know that my heart is fixed. My mind is made up that there is nobody like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I come to let you know that there is nobody who can do you like the Lord, who can do you like Jesus. My heart is fixed. That is Jesus Christ and him alone. I come to let somebody know that he is my hope. Are you with me, somebody? You know, Adam and Eve plunged this world into sin. Sin marred and scarred. Are you with me, somebody? Sin brought about sorrow. Sorrow brought about sadness. And sadness brought about suffering. And suffering brought about sickness. I come to tell you that, and that the sickness carried on, it brought death. But I'm here to let you know that the only conqueror for S-I-N is the S-O-N. Amen. Are you with me, somebody? When I look in the Bible, I saw in Psalms 85, too, that he covers my sin. When I looked in Psalm 103, 10, it said God does not reward us according to our sin. When I looked in Psalm 103, 12, it tells me that far is the east from the west, God removes our sin. When I looked in Job 14:17, it said he takes our sin and settles it up in a bag. I don't know about you, but when I look in the book of Micah seven nineteen, it tells me that he cast my sin in the depth of the sea. When I look in Isaiah thirty eight seventeen, it tells me that he cast my sin behind his back. When I look in the book of Peter, he tell me that he took my sins and buried it in his own body on a tree. So the world may place their hopes in money, I place my hope in Jesus Christ. Are you with me, somebody? I come to tell you that there is nobody like my Jesus. He's the only one that can save my soul. He's the only one that came from heaven's glory to earth's shame. He's the only one that encountered our enemies and made us his friends. He's the only one that felt our pain and, and so we can feel his pleasure. He's the only one that tasted our bitterness in Gethsemane so that we can be more than conquerors like Jesus Christ. He's the only one that came and confronted our problem so now we can be more than conquerors. He's the only one that came and overcame our obstacles, that we can be overcomers in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I can tell you that my God can do anything. I don't know about you, but I can tell you that he's the one that can can turn water into wine. He's the only one that can speak to demons and they take off. He's the only one that can speak to the water and the waves and they stop moving. He's the only one. that can can take a dead man and make him alive. He's the only one that can can unstop deaf ears. He's the only one. And I tell you, my hope is fixed. My mind is made up. That is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. My hope is built On one day, he's coming back. He said, I'm going to my father's house to build a mansion. And when I go, you can be there too. I heard a song that said, soon and very soon, he's coming back. Don't you want to be there? Soon and very soon, he shall come through the clouds. Don't you want to be there? Soon and very soon, we shall see him as he is. Don't you want to be there? Where the dead in Christ shall rise. And the righteous are coming up after him. Soon and very soon, we shall sit at the welcome table. Soon and very soon, we shall eat from the tree. Soon and very soon, we shall see him face to face. Don't you want to be there? I remember a song that says, well, I'm going to have shoes. You're going to have shoes. And soon all God's children are going to have shoes. And we're going to shout all over God's I remember the Bible said, I'm going to have two wings veil my face. Two wings veil my feet. Two wings, I'm going to fly away. I don't know about you, but what he did in the garden, he gave all people the victory. What he did in the garden, we got victory today. I don't know about you, but he's the only one that can take a worthless sinner and change him into a saint. I don't know about you, but he can reach in the garbage can. I don't care how bad life is, that he says soon and very soon, I think I must have turned soon and very soon, he shall come. Don't you want to be there? Soon and very soon, you shall see him face to face. You can play for me. You know, as I thought about this, there's a story about a young boy who wanted to be a baseball player. And he would use anything for a target, he would hit the side of the barn, he would hit a tire. But one day, he threw the ball, and it hit the family duck. And right as he hit the duck, he ran over to look at it, and it was dead. And the moment that he knew that that duck was dead, he heard a voice. I'm going to tell mama. And he looked around, he said, "Hush, sister, don't tell. And she said, I'm going to tell. And he said, please don't tell on me. And she said, for me not to tell, what you're going to do for me? He said, sister, I'd do anything. So she ran, jumped in the wagon, and said, pull the wagon. Days, he was pulling his sister all around the yard. He was saying, told his sister, I'm tired. She said, pull the wagon. Days in, he was pulling the wagon. And then one morning, while they was having breakfast in the home, he talked with his mother. And he said, Mom, I got a confession to make. The family duck. I hit the duck by accident and it died and the mother told him, son, I saw you hit the duck and I also saw you pulling your sister all around the yard and he said, but do you forgive me? And the mother told him, son, I forgave you a long time ago. I was just waiting for you to come and tell me and at that moment. He left out of the house, hopping and skipping. And as he got out of the house, he heard the voice again, the wagon." And at this moment, he looked over at his sister and said, you know what? I'm not pulling no more wagon, because I've got my business fixed. Let me explain to you. Like this young boy, I lived a life of sin and partying. And the devil had me for years struggling in guilt. Struggling over my past sins. For years, I listened to the lies of the devil. And one day, when life was so bad for me I didn't want to live anymore but I found myself as I drove my truck out to the University Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church in Los Angeles I can't tell you what the preacher preached about today but it was November 5th 1998 the appeal was anybody tired of the devil beating up on you come on down just like that I was out of my seat and at the altar let me tell you something I was nervous but you know what I didn't want the devil holding me no, anymore so I surrendered let me tell you that was the best decision I ever made totally surrendering my life to the Lord and since then, I made a point to study the details of the cross. And as I studied, I looked from Mark and Matthew and Luke, and I saw when they took my Savior from the Garden of Gethsemane where he made the decision, and they sped on, sped on him in the chamber. They beat on him in the chamber. They ripped the beard out of his face in the chamber. They whipped him with canadine tails to the point where flesh was showing. And then they took that cross, that, that crown of and thorns, and they violently thrust it on his head and then beat him some more. And I realized he took all of that for this sinner. And then they took him down to Golgotha, stretched him out, pounded the nails in his hands, pounded the nails in his feet. And as I read read this, in my mind I could see my Savior laying there twitching and trembling from the pain that he was taking for me. The blood poured for a sinner like me. And then they took my Savior, dropped that, cr- that cross in the ground between two thieves. Let me tell you something. I realized in my study, being on the cross wasn't the deepest suffering because he suffered the, the most inhumane Suffering any human can suffer. I realized the deepest suffering was the fact that he took all of the guilt, all of the shame, the wrath of God, the separation. I realized he took all of that upon his shoulders and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took the separation of every sinner. Upon him. And then the Bible says he hung his head and he died. Placed in a borrowed man's tomb. And very early on Sunday morning, he came out that tomb showing his sacrifice to the Father. And at that moment he rose redeeming me. He rose saving me. He rose for a sinner like me. I'm so glad he did. Because what he did I'm here to tell about it. We serve a risen Savior Because he lives, I live. Because he lives. I'm going to tell you, you can't stop me now. Because he lives. Let me tell you something. He did the greatest act. He came down. He made the decision, went through the death, that we all can be saved. We don't have to taste the second death. Now there may be somebody here today as you listen to me. You're saying in your heart, what must I do to be saved? Let me tell you, number one, repent of your sins. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you. That's what he said. And repent means turn around. Make a U-turn. That's what it means. Then after to repent, secondly, you must completely surrender whatever it is that you're allowed to come between you and God. Completely surrender it. Meaning, God, you're saying to yourself, God, I've allowed this to happen, but I surrender it now. I don't know who I'm speaking to here today. I'm going to make an appeal. I'm going to give somebody a chance to respond. My first appeal, you're listening to me. And you're thinking in yourself, I don't know that I'm saved. And if I don't know that I'm saved, I may not wake up in the first resurrection. And if that's you, and you want to say, Lord, I completely surrender my life, I want to know, I want to be saved save me now. Just as you are. I'm going to ask somebody to make that decision right now. Don't put it off any longer. You're thinking to yourself. You're listening. And you're saying, Lord, I am not sure that I'm saved. I want to be saved. I want to ask if there's anybody with that thought I'm going to challenge you by faith to just lift your hands up and say, God, here I am. Amen. 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 Now I'm going to ask another bold move. Everyone who lifts their hands up, can you do me a favor? Just come over here. We're going to pray. Everyone one, their hands. We're going to just pray for you. Let's go here. We're going to pray. My second appeal. You may be in the church. But you have allowed something to come between you and your relationship. You don't have the praise like you used to have. Your worship is not what it used to be. And today, you know what he's done for you in the garden. The victory has already been won. I'm going to challenge somebody right now. You want to recommit. You want to say, God, I'm surrendering. I'm recommitting my life. I'm in the church. Nobody business but me and you, God. I'm going to challenge somebody by faith. This is a faith walk. I'm going to ask you to stand. Just stand where you are. my last appeal there's somebody right now you're tired of the devil beating up on you and your family he's attacking your finances he's attacking you he's attacking your family he's attacking and you need help I'm going to ask for you right now If you so feel, come down front, we're going to pray. You're tired of the devil beating up on you. Come down, we're going to pray. You're tired. Come forward for prayer. Come. You're tired. just been impressed to make one more call there may be somebody here today you want to say I want to be baptized I want to study I want to know God more is there anybody like that I've been impressed to ask that appeal is there anybody like that you want to say Lord I want to go all the way with you is there anybody like that he's willing to save you just as you are. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I call on your holy name today, God, because there is nobody but you. Father, we know what you have did at Calvary. We know, dear God, that you are Jehovah Jireh, the one who supplies all of our needs. We know, dear God, you are Jehovah Shalom, the one who brings peace. Somebody needs peace for you right now, God. God, you've seen the response of individuals saying, Lord, I surrender my life. I give it to you now, God. Save me. Take my life, dear God, and save me. I don't want to leave here not knowing I'm saved here I am God there's so many individuals right now responding to the call and saying Lord I don't have the connection I used to have but God I surrender right now I'm coming back here I am God Father I surrender now I come to you now. Here I am. Nothing else between me and you, God. Here I am. Father, thank you. God, there's individuals saying, Lord, I need your help. The devil has been attacking me, has been attacking my finances, has been attacking my family. Father, I need help. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know you have defeated in heaven. You defeated him at the cross. And I need you to defeat him in my life now. In the name of Jesus. Health issues. God, we're going to give it to you. Financial issues. We're going to give it to you, God. Family problems. We're going to give it to you. Father work issues we're going to give it to you and we're going to thank you in advance for the victory we're going to claim it because we know the victory has already been won father thank you father somebody's family member are on drugs so they strung out God some family members are all in the hospital sickness we give them to you God Family members are on dope and they can't got a habit and they can't break it. We give it to you, God. We're gonna claim victory because it's all all in you. You're our only hope, God. Father, thank you. In the name of Jesus. Give everything to you. Not our will, God, but thy will be done. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, this we pray, amen.